Okay. Please be seated. You're part of the family now, that's why I don't need to invite you to sit. <laughs> I can ask the Swami Nuhasis to sit down as well. The rest of them don't need invitations. How are you all doing? Hmm? Good? How does this feel like? Making progress in the Dhamma day by day? Colors coming off, white going on, and then prayer mats going on your shoulders as time passes by. Then the prayer mats come off, some of you. Robes go on. How's it working out for you? Good? Do you take time to reflect on your progress, on your journey, where you were when you began and where you are now today? It's very important. That's one of the best things you can do for self-motivation and to take stock of what progress you have made. It gives you more reasons to carry on and makes you realize nothing else in the world is worth swapping this for. I want you to do this from time to time so it's not just my word that you're here for. You begin to internalize this, you begin to experience this. And this becomes true for you. This is not just my testimony, it becomes yours. After that has happened for you, you cannot be shaken. Once you have experienced the sweet taste of Nibban, there's no going back. It is addictive. There are some addictions that are good. There are some addictions we want you to get into. Because then it's not harmful to you or others. Because this is unconditional. The only addiction that is unconditional. For everything else, you need someone, something, some substance, some experience, something like that. It has to come from the outside, or it has to involve you doing something. It has to involve labor, it has to involve some kind of work. And to usually rely on someone else doing their part, so you can do your part, and when the two meet together, that's when that happens. But when you consider unconditional, happiness and the unconditional addiction. That's Once it's yours, it's yours. You, have, you don't have to maintain it. That is why this is very unique. It's very special. Unlike anything else you've ever come across in life. And you, if you're experiencing what I'm talking about, folks, then you know what I mean. You're doing much less than you used to, yet you're happier. Just think about how that's even possible. <laughs> From the day you considered this your home, from the day you considered this at least your second home, hmm? for some of you, you live here 24-7, for others, you're here once a week, twice a week, three times a week, four times a week, five times a week, six, seven, eight, nine, ten times a week. <laughs> I don't know why you still keep going back home, just so the bank gets their mortgage payments, I suppose. 
or the landlord gets their rent, you must be very generous. You still want two homes, two roofs. For no why? Beats me. <laughs> so once this becomes your home, it has to happen first inside though. This physical change is only secondary. The change should happen internally first. Otherwise you feel like you're an alien. No, you do, honestly. Otherwise you feel like you're an alien. Because people around you, if you can't, if you can't keep up with them, if you can't experience the same bliss that they experience, if, the, if it's not the same things that please both of you, then after a while it becomes very unpleasant. That's why the internal transformation must precede the external transformation. And that's why, you know, none of you are ever rushed into any of this. We don't rush anyone because you can't do it like that. You can't do it because teacher says so, or mother says so, dad says so. You can't do Simon says go to Nibbana. <laughs> can't do that unless your name is Simon. It has to come from within. So all we can do is share with you the truth. That's why you keep coming back. I mean, you're not fools to keep listening to all these talks and these words for the last, what, however many years? Hmm? We haven't been giving you something to drink, right? Before you walk into this room so that you can't make sense of right or wrong for two hours. And then you sit down here, you listen to something and you don't know what happened to you. And then you walk out of the room and you begin to wonder what happened in the last two years, last two hours. It's not like that. You're fully aware, aren't you, while you're here? You're fully aware of what's going on. It's making sense. You contemplate, you reflect. We always say, don't take my word for it. Don't take Guru Handra's word for it. Don't take your teacher's word for it. Don't take your noble friend's word for it. It has to make sense for you. Those who do it like that are here for the long run. It sticks with you. So that must be why this transformation is beginning to show within each and every one of you. I always say you have yourselves to thank for that. Hardly me. You have yourselves to thank for that. Because not everyone I've been speaking to for the last, what, six years is here. You are. If it was me, and all down to me, then every person I would have spoken to must be here today. It's not so. Don't you agree? If it was all down to me, it's not like that. Your merits, your, your wisdom, so don't come thanking me for that. Thank your lucky stars. That is your merits, your lucky stars. And thank your hard work. Thank your determination, your resolve, your resilience in the face of challenges. Your wanting to keep going forward on this journey, even when the times are tough. Hmm? Fighting Raga, Desha and Moha, these are three demons that have never been slain before. You've never conquered them before. So they've grown to the size of monsters. Don't you feel that when you try to tackle them? These are not little baby dragons. <laughs> these dragons are the sizes of Mount Meru. Not Meru, those Meru. Mount Meru. <laughs> these things are mammoths, aren't they? You know the feeling. But we have one thing to give us assurances. See, there are people who walked this path before us. 
Look at the two disciples, either side of him, being grateful to their teacher. For they were, themselves were lost once. They were in the Giraga Samaj, enjoying themselves, partying. Must have been New Year's Eve. <laughs> they were enjoying dances, young women dancing, clapping, running around, giggling. Two best friends, almost brothers. But they were fed up. It just didn't, things didn't satisfy them. Just like life is for you. You know sensuality doesn't satisfy you. People still keep going after it, but they know it doesn't satisfy them. You know, that is not the new revelation. You've always known that it doesn't satisfy you, haven't you? Why do you watch TV twice? <laughs> Why do you go to a restaurant twice? The second time you go, that is enough for you to learn that it doesn't satisfy you. So what is the new revelation? Now you know what to do about it. That's what. Just see how lost we were. Just think about it, folks. Think about it for a second. Wear the smile on my face right now. Here, yeah, wear it. <laughs> but for that, you need to realize exactly what I mean right now. You've got to understand where I'm coming from. You've got to both bathe from the same pool. That's when you know how good the water is. Come take a dip. <laughs> Just think about where you were. Like you knew sensuality doesn't satisfy you. But what was the problem? No alternative. When the rash feels itchy, what do you have to do if there's no alternative? If there's no ointment? If there's no cream? Hmm? If there's no medicinal oil or something you can apply on it? And it's, and it's itchy, what do you do? What do you do when you have a rash? Uh, let's ask some young people. What do you do when you have a rash? <coughs> of course, you scratch it. What else do you do? When you don't have an alternative, that's what you have to do, you scratch. And what is the best thing you can do for a rash? Not. Huh? What does your mother always say? Leave that thing alone. Doesn't she? As she quickly turns her hand around and scratches her own rash. <laughs> it's one thing to say, but when you have no alternative, how can you expect your children to? This is why our parents were never able to show us the right path. They didn't have an alternative. They hadn't met the Buddha, although they'd always observed the five precepts. Observing the five precepts, they thought, was being a good Buddhist. I mean, good of them. They did what they had. They did what they could. It is all they had, unfortunately. But I suppose we were born in the right era. My grandparents missed that boat. They came a little bit too early, because I was lucky. <laughs> But then, of course, we have to be grateful. So we try and turn back around and go and give back to those who have helped us get here today. If it's still within our reach, if they are still within our reach, that is what you are doing. That is why most of you are not here alone. You always tag someone alone, don't you? You bring your mother with you, you bring your father with you, you bring your daughter with you, you bring your son with you, you bring your aunt with you, you bring your uncle with you, you bring your neighbor with you. You bring your driver with you, hmm? bring your wife with you, 
bring your husband with you bring someone with you bring a friend with you just so you can show your gratitude you understand that you are not a lone product but i ask you to go back you know go back just two and a half thousand years you know that was not a long time considering the grand in the grand scheme of things just a flash of an eye back then you know right just before the buddha's advent just imagine what life would have been like everywhere people are trying to satisfy themselves it's just you know there were no buddhists but there were ascetics there were hermits there were people all just trying you know just struggling because there is no other philosophy than this none other show me if you have it show me if you can find one i'll be impressed so far there is nothing that has come anywhere close to buddhist teachings because this is the only truth there is you can't have two truths this is the only way to free oneself from those vexations to free oneself from attachment to free oneself from addiction once and for all for good that is why you see see the two of them sat either side in constant veneration eternally gra- grateful oh great master these were not people who had nowhere to go they were not people who didn't have family you know sariputta tero he was one of seven children well off they, they really were well off people just like you all they had all the means they needed friends right the means to keep themselves happy a comfortable life all of that i'm not just talking about the buddha i mean he was a prince fair enough so he would have had everything but even the others you only have a few examples like sunita and soparka but most of them you know they were well off people they were affluent well connected so therefore whenever they had a rash they could god <laughs> they could reach themselves to the bone <laughs> and they did they did but they were never satisfied never content this is the only place where contentment can happen and that is the buddha sasana there is no other place in this 31 worlds of existence in this whole universe you go from one end to the other ladies and gentlemen find a way and another way to be content if you can i dare you there cannot be another because where there is ignorance there is no contentment where there is attachment there cannot be contentment so thank you all lucky stars for having come across the buddha's teaching if you've seen the buddha's teaching you've seen the buddha that's it he was the first to say i am no one in the chinese language mandarin the word for buddha is fo i don't know if i'm pronouncing it properly but any chinese learners fo anagarika magnus ah we have samnasa fo thank you you know what it means what does it mean samnasa it means no man that's what it means no man not nomad although it is a state of no madness but it means no man 
So therefore, this is the Buddha we speak of. The only one who says, you know, do what I did and you can get to where I am. There are no secrets here. No Guru Musti. <laughs> Nothing. If I venture the path and you walk that path, you can get to the same destination. I know of only one teacher who's ever said that. No secrets. Nothing to hide. Because in the truth, there's nothing to hide. So, wherever you have come from, whatever walks of life you're here from, we, are, we have people here from all four quarters of the world, from up north and down below, from the east to the west. Just count your lucky stars. Be grateful for what you have. That is your merits. For we have all come across the Buddha's teaching. Nothing is worth so much. Nothing can be better. Nothing can be more sublime. Nothing can be more peaceful. Nothing can be more rewarding. <laughs> and it is on contemplation of that, on reflection of that, and on virtue of that, I ask you to bring your palms together. In veneration of the great master, the perfect one, the omniscient one, our teacher, our guide, our leader, he who sacrificed himself on behalf of all sentient beings. And we were lucky that when he made his sacrifice, he considered you and I in that pool. So let us take this moment to pay veneration to his holy name and to renew our pledge to ourselves to practice the path to reach that same, the ultimate bliss of Nibbana. Namo tassa bhagavato arhato samma sambuddhassa Namo tassa bhagavato arhato samma sambuddhassa Namo tassa bhagavato arhato Samma Sambuddhasa. Unless you have come across the Buddha's teaching, you're constantly on a quest, seeking satisfaction, seeking contentment. You can't help it. Like I said, this is a rash. Raga is a rash. Dvesha is a rash. And more is a rash. If there is no treatment for it, then you have to resort to the only thing that you know how to do. And this is what we know how to do best. Scratch, 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 scratch. Even when it starts oozing, and you can see it's only going to get worse, you know that. Think about a time in life if you can go back a few months for some of you, maybe a few years for some of you, think about a time where you hadn't come across the Buddha's teaching, and this would have been in this lifetime, right? So 
you don't need to recall your previous lives, thankfully. Just think about, you know, a time where you hadn't come across the Buddha's teaching. Personally, for yourselves, maybe your closest, maybe if you have children, right? As mothers and fathers, you would have seen some of this happen under your roof, at your home, at, at home for you. Sensuality, for instance. You know, it is the ugly beast that we are all, just all too familiar with. Sensuality. That is one rash that we have all scratched. Lust, desire. We've all scratched that rash. And you know what scratching feels like as well, don't you? Now you're hesitant to nod your heads because you think you're going to give it away. <laughs> it's okay, you were born human. <laughs> That's giving it away already. <laughs> if you didn't have desire and lust, you wouldn't have been born human. You would have been born an Anagami Brahma. So you've already given it away. <laughs> you can't hide it now. Right? So that was a rash that we are very familiar having scratched. No, I didn't read this in a book, by the way. So I speak from first-hand experience. When you have that rash and it's itchy and you have no alternative and the only people that you have around you are your friends, people who you trust, and you ask them, what do you do about this? When you are very young, the first time this rash appears on, of course, your mind, if your parents catch you, they'll tell you, not, yes, not yet. That's what they say, not yet. Wait, Buddha, you're only six. This time of your life, you have to do what? Study. Ah, you've all heard that. You've all heard that. Oh. Wasn't my mother that told that to you, was it? So they must have all gone to the same school then, all our mothers. Not yet. They don't say not ever. Why don't they say not ever? How could they? Because if they said not ever, then you'd have to turn around and ask, well, how come I'm here? <laughs> Yeah? So they can't say not ever because they don't know how not ever, how not to ever. They'll only say, not yet. You're still, what? You're still very young, you're still too young for this. Right, so perhaps the doers on that side of the room, you're probably hearing this now, beginning to hear this. If you, the rash has begun to appear. It does for everyone. There's only so long you can keep it hidden. For so long you can be numb to it. Very soon it begins to appear for everyone. If you are a member, a fully-fledged member of the karma world, huh? nothing short, you know, no less. Right? If you are fully equipped, you have every aspect of sensuality about you as you are born into the karma world, right? these diseases, they'll begin to show up and these wounds, they'll begin to ooze. These rashes, they'll begin to appear and start causing you trouble. So I believe as I speak, 
you can all relate to this. If none of you have experienced this, then please let me know. Perhaps I'm speaking to the wrong audience. I'll go and speak to some Swami Nuhansas then. What do you mean by lust, Swami I do not, I've never come across that. The environment around you is constantly trying to put you into a state whereby, you know, it's like this, right? Do you remember when you have sometimes this rash and if you leave it for a while, right, you sometimes tend to forget about it. Because, you know, it starts, there's a little crust-like thing that starts to grow on the surface and then you become insensitive to it. But even if by mistake, like say you have a rash on your, on your leg and you're just going around doing your work and a mosquito bites, okay? And then because you want to scratch that, you rub one leg against the other or one foot against the other, whatever, and then the rash gets scratched inadvertently. But now it's been scratched. So once it's scratched, now it feels, begins to feel itchy. This is exactly what people around you, they do. They exploit it. Once again, I'm not trying to criminalize them. Because what can they do? They also have rashes that need scratching, and they can't scratch their rashes unless you begin to scratch yours. So it's not really a case of you scratch my back, I scratch yours. It's actually a case of you scratch my rash and I'll scratch yours. Or even, why don't you start scratching your rash so that I can scratch mine? It's a case like, that's, the, that's what it is actually. Remember what Guru Handra says about people making, wanting to make you cry? Right? If, you, if you cried money, as he so nicely puts it, They'll make you cry to death. Why so? If you cried money, if your tears were money, people would make you cry to death because that is what they want out of you. They want to capitalize on your vulnerabilities. Once again, I'm not trying to criminalize them. I'm not saying they are, they are wrong because they have no alternative. This is the doggy dog world that we live in. Who asked you to come here? Not them. It's not like they pulled you out of the Gandhabha world and, you know, brought you into a mother's womb. This is all our own doing. Without, without reading the small print, you sign the dotted line and now you're here. Now we're all born with these rashes and they need scratching from time to time and they have them, them as well for themselves, right? So when, when, when a rash begins to itch, either you're going to have to do, you know, one of, the biggest, one of the best punishments you can give someone who has a rash on their body, or say several rashes on their body, is to tie their hands together. Can you imagine that? Just, just picture yourself. You've got rashes on your back, on your body, on your legs, right? And your hands are tight. Just see what that, imagine yourself in that situation. Ah, like when you get measles. Have that experience? Chicken pox? Yeah? So when you get it, what, are, what is the worst thing you could do? Scratch yourself because you're going to burst those blisters, right? So what do parents say? Ah, no scratching. So you know there's one over here, and you know that if you scratch it, what they tell you is it's going to leave that scar <laughs> for the rest of your life. And if you're particularly conscious about how you look, particularly, right, then you have to leave it alone. <clears throat> so then what do you do? You take something like <laughs> maybe a piece of paper or a leaf on a tree and you try and rub it. 
that's how sensuality is. Now, this is one of the best similes I could use for it. That's why they call it the karma dada, the rash of karma. It is. You know this, you, if you've experienced this, if, if you ever had this experience, you're getting measles, you know exactly what it feels like when you can't scratch yourself. Or say, you have an itch somewhere where the sun don't shine, and you're on a bus. Hmm? You're in public. Uh, Mahatmyas can explain to the doers later on, okay, what I meant by that. So you have, a, you have an itch and you can't, you can't scratch because it's not decent in public to do that. Yeah? So, so you know the feeling. So you try and rub yourself against yourself. Huh? The way you're set, maybe if you're on a cushion, you try and make yourself comfortable. But that's, that's all you can do. Because otherwise you'll get, you know, you get told off for indecency. We've all been there. Hmm? You've got to be grounded on reality, in reality, on the truth, right? So, so I can speak to you freely. Swaminarayan says, saying cocky things. <laughs> Don't you be like that. Then go to see you, Margaret. <laughs> I speak the truth. I'm trying to use similes, metaphors, examples that help you really understand what sensuality is. Once you see the, once you see the danger, once you see how, how dark this devil is, you will want freedom from it, folks. Because when sensuality strikes you and you have that rash that needs scratching and you afford yourself that freedom, you get such a sense of delight. It's very delightful. Been there, done that, yeah? You all know what this feels like. It's very delightful. It's very satisfying, although it's not satisfying, although you, you feel like it's satisfying, because in that moment, you feel like you're on seventh heaven. That's what you feel like in that moment. This is bliss, you feel like. So therefore you scratch yourself. Close your eyes and scratch yourself. As I say, if you could, you would scratch yourself to the bone. So people around you, they know about this. They know that you can be teased. And as technology advances, but sensuality is no less than what it used to be, because there's only one way sensuality can be got rid of, and that is through the Buddha's teaching. Just because technology is advanced doesn't mean that you have any less of raga, desha, or moha. Because to address an effect, you have to address the cause, of course. But the only philosophy that people out there have is, if you want it, go and get it. Therefore, technology keeps on advancing. If you can only see what's happening around you, but you want to see what's happening across the oceans, then technology will bring you a solution to that problem, as it has. If only around you you can see people clad from head to toe, but you want to see them naked, technology will bring you a solution, because technology is very advanced. That is where most of our youth spend their youthful years, 
with technology, trying to acquire the things that their heart so desires, all the while scratching that rash. And the more you scratch it, the deeper it gets. And it begins to fester. And it begins to ooze. And it begins to scratch even more. It's even more itchy. And you keep on scratching it. I have come across people who walk up to us and say, Swami Nuhansa, it's draining me of all my energy. I don't have the energy to do my studies. I don't have the energy to be with my family. I don't have the energy to be with my friends. And I know this is killing me. I know this is only ruining my life. I used to be happier. I used to be more fulfilled. I used to go out with my friends and do what normal people do. I used to spend time with my parents and used to be fun and, you know, I used to have a good family life. But now I'm hooked. But now I'm hooked. And you thought drugs was addictive. There's no fire like the fire of desire. Because like a wildfire, it only stops once every twig, every leaf, everything flammable on its way is burnt to dust. That's why I say, once you start scratching this rash, you can scratch it to the bone until you wear yourself out because people have done that and they're still doing it because they have no Dhamma because they have no refuge in the Noble Triple Gem because they have not seen what you have seen that's why I always say don't come here to see me looking at me is no remedy to your rash Come here to see what I have seen. That is the remedy to your rash. Come and spend a week with me. And don't see what I have seen. Don't listen to what I listen to. Don't see what I see. Spend a week with me and go back home. Things will only have gotten worse. Because for that week, you would not have been able to scratch your rash. And so when you get back home, that scratch will be there, ready for the scratching. <laughs> Just ready. And technology is very advanced. And you know, I, I really want you to open, open your eyes, ladies and gentlemen, and not just look at what's happening around, but also look at if you don't seek remedy for these diseases that take place within your hearts and minds, where you will end up. Today, it might even be difficult to envisage such a future. But this is the story of all addicts. The first time you do that, you don't think that I'm going to end up in a six-foot coffin. You don't think that it's going to get you there. No one does. Just once. It's not so bad. Just once. When you do that for the first time. Just once. It's not so bad. But people drink themselves to death. Just once. Take it out of the box. Just one puff. Won't do you harm, will it? Just once. 
if those things are so bad, I don't actually, in fact, I don't consider them to be terrible because they'll only kill you once. Your drug addiction will only kill you once. Won't it? Your drug addiction will only kill you once. Your alcohol addiction will only kill you once. It will only destroy your liver once because you only have one liver. Smoking can only destroy your lungs once because only, you only have one, one pair of lungs, that's it. But sensuality, that's a different kind of beast altogether. Once you unleash that beast, oh boy, <laughs> until you meet the Buddha. Mark my words, and let me say that again just in case you were asleep. Once you unleash that beast, until you meet the Buddha, you are a goner. You are done for. You're a loser. Because it is a rash that every time you scratch, it only gets worse. Time and time and time again, you are the evidence. I don't need to relate all these stories because you are the evidence. You know this is true. And what more? You have five sense doors, all of which can bring you sensuality. Oh, wonderful. Not just your eyes, not just your ears. There's your nose, there's your tongue. And every bit of you there, there's a bit of skin. Hmm? Paradise, isn't it? Every bit of you. Everywhere you have a skin cell that is capable of taking those sensations. I mean, your tongue is what? This long? That's it. A few inches. Your nostrils... Just, you know, it has to be held in front of you. But your skin, the fifth sense, it's all over, everywhere. Maybe in one hand you can do one thing, with the other hand you can do another. Two chittas will take turns, right? One from left, one from the right, one from the left, one from the right. Oh yeah, bring it on. <laughs> Each time scratching those rashes. That's why I say, you know, much of our youth, and it's only going to keep getting worse and worse and worse. Parents will usually not f find out about this because parents, children, you know, they just don't have the guts to go and divulge this to their parents because they know if I say this, if I speak about my incognito behaviors with my mother, that's going to give her a heart attack because a mother is sacred to anyone. Until, of course, the internet will change that as well. <laughs> because now even mothers are fair game. Haha. Tricks on you now. Let alone the mothers, the poor grandmothers, they're also fair game now. So before the internet comes and consumes your grandson, you better be off. Honestly, you'd better be off. Because if you live under one roof and you have this good friend called the internet out there, I'm not saying the internet is bad. 
Oh no. Most of you are here because of the internet. <laughs> yeah? I'm not saying the internet is bad. It's like a knife. Is it bad? An axe. What about an axe? I mean, knife, I understand, but axe, big one. Bad? What about a cleaver? Oh God, cleavers, they're dangerous. Are they bad? No, they're not bad. So the internet isn't bad. But it's what people use them for, because the people who use them, you know, where does it say on a cleaver, don't hold unless you are free of Raga Desha Moha? Should that not be the instructions on a cleaver? <laughs> You know, when you log, log into your internet, they ask you for your username and password, right? Shouldn't they have like three little boxes? You can check, check boxes. Vita Raga, Vita Dosa, Vita Mohan. <laughs> Shouldn't they? But does it? No. Just a hundred rupees. You get an internet card. Scratch it. Punch in the number. You're online. You're online. Free to be exposed, exposed, free to be exploited, free to be capitalized as an opportunity. You're just opening up all your rashes. Come and scratch them. Once again, I'm not saying the internet is bad. In fact, you know what we do here at the monastery? We train our people so that they're capable of getting themselves online. That's the ultimate test. Can you put someone in front of, in front of the internet? Nothing bad. No firewalls. No teacher to watch over. No tracks, no logs. Just let them on. We've never done that. Not yet. But I, want, I would like to get there one day. See, how wonderful it would be if I could train someone. Hmm? Our young noble hearts. I have, I'm very confident. Because we have all the time in the world with them. So they're what, six now? By the time they're 96, I'm going to sit them down in front of a computer. <laughs> it won't take that long. By the time you're 96, they'll be ready. What's that? Six years' time, ten years' time, twenty years' time. They'll be ready. You know, ready to do whatever. Ready to see anything. The eye is on fire, ladies and gentlemen, not because the eye is wrong. Because it is the fire of desire that keeps the eye aflame. If you can learn to put out the fire of desire, the eye is harmless. See, in fact, before they give you eyes, ears, nose, tongue, and a body, they should ask you, Vita Raga, Vita Dosa, Vita Moha. Well, mind you, if you answer yes to all three of them, then they'll ask you again, do you really need eyes? What for? See, it is people who know how to use them, they don't get them. Yeah? It is always the people who don't know how to use them, they get given these tools. Do you see the irony there? Who is someone who knows how to use their eyes properly? What do you call them? Arahants. Do they get them anymore? They don't. 
So therefore, really, once you go to the i supermarket, you should be. You know, they should check your. Come on, show me your pass. What's your status, Arahant? Okay, ice. But an Arahant doesn't walk into that supermarket. I'm trying to explain all this to you in very simple language, very simple examples. Because, like I said, you know, I have people in the audience from eight to eighty. I always say, you know, try swapping places with me and see what this feels like. How do you keep an eight-year-old and an eight-year-old awake at the same time? That's quite something. <laughs> I'm still learning the trick, still learning the art. There's only one way to keep both of them awake. Unless, of course, you're talking to them like some proper lap and giving them just cracking jokes and doing nothing more than that. Give them the bliss of Dhamma. Then Supabuddham Pabujanti happens. You're awake, you're alert, you're open. As I say, here's my smile, wear it. Enjoy this bliss. I would give it to you if I could. But in fact, that is what I'm doing, aren't I? I'm trying to give it to you. Not this smile, your smile. I want to bring out the best version of you. Don't you ever try to be me. I want you to be the best version of you. You have a pair of eyes. Let's try and put out the fire of desire so that your eyes do you no harm. Right now, it is not your enemy that does you the most harm. Where are your worst enemies right now? Where do you think they are? There are three of them above your neck. Name them. Eyes, nose, oh, four of them, yes. Eyes, yes, nose, tongue, oh, the skin, and body. All five of them concentrated just above your neck and you don't even realize. These are your worst enemies. Not because they're bad intrinsically, but they're all fixed, connected to a mind that is a flame. A flame with desire. This is the fire that we need to learn to put out. The other day, someone came and told me, so I'm in answer. YouTube used to be a family-friendly place. Mothers could sit down and watch and be on YouTube with their children. Fathers could do that with their daughters. But apparently not so now. See, nowadays, apparently, other than a few square centimeters of the human flesh, everything else is fair game. Just a few square centimeters, for some reason, it's bad. Everything else is all right. And people try to find treatment for cancer. Not knowing that all the while they're giving out the cancer of desire, they're creating that in the people's hearts and minds. Desire is a cancer, is it not? Once it starts, you can't stop. It just keeps on spreading. You know this. And they try to find treatment for cancers. 
It is all home brewed, all self made. But once again, I say it's not YouTube's fault. You know, they keep bringing policy after policy after policy, trying to moderate this, their, their content and try to keep it family friendly, try to keep it safe, try to keep it so that the whole family can sit around the dinner table and watch a video or two. But people keep pushing the boundaries because, like I said, you cannot be made content with desire. Sensuality cannot be made content. What satisfies you today, temporarily, does not satisfy you tomorrow. Because every time you take it, you keep pushing your boundaries. That's what happens. And this is a boundary that has no limits. So if you have one today, you can't be happy with one today. Tomorrow you'll need two. At least one and a half. I mean, this is how the world advances. You've you got a question, right? Why does the world advance at such a rapid rate? Think about it for a second. If, honestly, think about this, folks. If today we eat just like our ancestors ate. They also ate, we also eat. And you can only eat until your, your stomachs are full, right? You can't eat any more than that. If our ancestors, they dressed and we dress. If our ancestors go back several thousand years, our forefathers, our ancestors, you know, if they found shelter, and we also have shelter, if when they're ill they have medicine, I have no problem investing in, 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 medic, in, in medical science, you know, try to find ways in which people's ailments and diseases, they can, be, they can be cured. But the problem is, why that is done? For what purpose? If there's a sick man, let's heal them. I'll come help as well. But before that, I'm going to ask a question. What for? Tell me that's an re unreasonable question if you can. What for? Why do they need healing? It's a life. It's a precious life, you say. Yeah, soon after they're dead, they're going to get another one. That's free. They've accumulated enough karma to be born again and again. Tell me when I'm done. And again. And again. But you come and tell me, Swami Nasa, there's a life that needs saving. And if you can save that life, they'll put suffering to an end in this life itself. I'll tell you, take whatever belongs to me. Take mine. Let's fix them up. Let's sort them out. The purpose is very important. Why we do things is more important than what we do. Agreed or not? Do whatever you do, do it for the wrong reasons. Even the smallest of things is going to bring you great danger, put you into great danger, bring you great harm. Even a little thing, done for the right reasons, done for wholesome reasons, done for righteous reasons, brings you great good. Even the little things. Say thank you once to someone, see how grateful they will be for the rest of their lives. Just a small word, two words, thank you. Replace thank with another word. And keep the you. Those two words, say that to someone and see what happens. It can be the trigger for, for a world war. It can be the trigger for great chaos and destruction. Yes? That's what I'm saying. It's not the quantity. It's the why. The purpose. 
So why do you eat? That is what people have forgotten today. What is more important is what they eat. Choice. They've forgotten why they eat. But when you're at the monastery, and even now perhaps you're, while you're at home as well, you've learned what to do before you take a meal. Hmm? So even when you're at home, you reflect. So you think to yourself, Patisanka Yoniso. Pindapadang. Patisevam. Now you contemplate. See, in the Patisanka Yoniso, you don't have the what you eat. It doesn't say Patisanka Yoniso, Papadam Patisevam. It doesn't say that. That's not important. That's not important. Whether it's Papadam or peace, matters not. What matters is why you take it. See, in the new year, ladies and gentlemen, I want you to develop yourselves mentally so that everything you do is done for the right purpose because that will take you miles forward on this, on this path. Trust me. It will rocket you on the right path. Do it for the right purpose. If you eat, eat for the right purpose. I'll fix that sentence. Not if you eat, when you eat, eat for the right purpose. When you bathe, bathe for the right purpose. This is how you adopt a monk's attitude, even while you're at home. When you sleep, complete the sentence for me, please. Sleep for the right purpose. When you walk out the door, when you go for a walk, go for a walk, it's fine. You don't need to not go for a walk. Go for a walk, get yourself some fresh air. If you have friends around and they say, shall we go for a walk? Go for a walk. Make sure you have the right purpose though. If they say, let's go for a walk, there are some sweeties just downtown. Say, maybe tomorrow. Not today. That walk is probably not going worth going. Someone says, let's go for a walk. Oh yeah, um, shall we stop by the temple or maybe the elder's home? Maybe uh, the orphanage? Maybe let's stop by the garden and maybe shall we do some shramadana work? Whatever. Yeah, certainly. Shall we go and give a smile to all the beggars on the street? It's not just food they don't get. Honestly. I've seen people stopping and giving them food. I've not seen people stopping them and giving them a smile. Sometimes food comes easy. <laughs> Smiles don't. Because people have lots of food. What they don't have is a genuine smile. So it's very difficult to find one to give. How can you give what you don't have? As I say, here. Yeah. <laughs> Go spreading these smiles. Go miles spreading smiles. Do that on behalf of the Buddha Sasana. Because then once someone sees a genuine smile on your face, they're going to stop you and ask you, whoa, hold on, hold on, hold on. Where did that come from? Where did you get that from? Today they'll stop you and ask you, where did you get that from? It's very nice. Where did you get that frock from? This is nice, nice fabric. What the fabric, man? 
Where do you get that necklace from? It's very nice. Where do you get your makeup done? It's very nice. Oh, that tiara on your head. Where do, where do you get that from? It's very nice. Those shoes, mm, very dapper. Where do you get them from? They ask you. I say, get them to ask you, where do you get that smile from, madam? Which supermarket? Where's that store? This happened many, many years ago. <laughs> you look so serene. You look so tranquil. Where did you get that from? People were known to be asked. And so they would say, My teacher lives at Jetamana. <laughs> Offered only by the Anatha Pindika. If you go there, you can find more of this. It's free, by the way. So once you buy one, get one free, so you can give it to another one. They come on bog of deals. Spread those smiles. But become someone who can spread a smile. That is the first thing that has to happen. Under the Bodhi tree, that's what the Buddha did. He first ensured that his smile was genuine. Have you seen the Buddha smile? Close your eyes, contemplate on the Dhamma, and you will see the Buddha smile. Close your eyes and do a good deed. Think something good. Think something wholesome. Think good of everyone. Cultivate wholesome, wholesomeness in your mind and in your heart, and you will see the Buddha smile. Oh, you will. It's very easy to see the Buddha. Yodhamam Pasati. Of course. You want to see the Buddha smile, you smile first. Do what is needed to smile. And then you will see the Buddha smile. So spare a thought for those who try to smile doing things that the Buddha condemned. That's why today I say YouTube is not a family-friendly place. They'll say, this is yoga. Apparently now that is the trend. This is yoga. Because yoga is acceptable online. But it's fake yoga. <laughs> Apparently it's only an excuse. In the name of yoga, I will bring you to your knees. Quite literally. <laughs> Says the performer. I, I mean, yoga is good. I've done yoga myself. Yoga is good. I'm talking about fake yoga. It's a big trend these days, apparently. <laughs> Save your children. Because now these days, yoga is the trend. They'll say yoga and they'll show yoga. But little does, little does your little child know that something else is the agenda. There's a hidden agenda. 
I mean, how come, you know, there are these yoga masters throughout the world, right? They do these yoga lessons and apparently they get like a few hundred views. But these amateur yoga artists, she's only started doing yoga today. <laughs> she hasn't taken any yoga lessons, no yoga instructor, but she's online doing yoga. Million. Million views. Save your children. That's it. They keep pushing the boundaries of what is acceptable. Once again, I have nothing against YouTube. And I tell you, it's not they who's at fault. You can't fix the world. So whenever I speak about what's going on out there, please bear in mind that I don't have a bone to pick with anyone out there. If I did, I would be speaking to them, wouldn't I? Hmm? I'd been giving them peace of my mind, wouldn't I? Who am I speaking to? You. I'm speaking to you because I want you to open your eyes and just be able to watch that. And see a plate of rice. <laughs> if you can get yourself there, now no yoga can bring you to your knees. But until you're mentally capable of that, keep your youthful son off of the internet. But as soon as I say this, I know that what I speak is something impossible to be done. Because they have to do their studies, they have to submit their assignments, they have to do their research, and they know when they're online. Now, you don't need to go home and search for yoga. Just take my word for it. It's a rash. Therefore, what satisfies you today does not satisfy you tomorrow. So therefore, they'll keep pushing this. Oh, there are many more trends out there. So I was asking this person, what else is out there? And I was sorry I asked. I really was. Sorry I asked. But then it opened my eyes to what's going on out there that's out to get your innocent children. And I say children, it's not just children, really. Because what is a child after all? Just a little mass. Now who's an adult then? More mass. That's it. More of a mess as well. More mass, more mess. Both. Because indoctrinated, all those, all those videos, all those indoctrinations through the mind, through the ears, through the mind, through the heart, and now sedimented, very, almost impossible to get them out. But, you know, we've got to give our children a fighting chance. So I, 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 re I really don't know how you can, because if you ask me, so Aminasa, what do we do? Do we not sit them in front of the internet? How can I answer that question? Because then if I say, yes, you shouldn't sit them in front of the internet, then you're going to come back and ask me, so how are they going to do their research? How are they going to do their assignments? Then I have no answer to give you. I, then I can't do their assignments on their behalf. Because I have to be responsible in what I say. If I tell you don't do this, I have to give you an alternative way of doing it in a way that is not harmful. I don't have that. 
because there's only one answer I can give you. Bring them here. <laughs> then I can keep an eye out for them. I can give you give your child a teacher and sit them and watch your child do their homework, do their assignments. All that can be done. <laughs> Otherwise, I have to bring the parents here and do a firewall course. <laughs> so one of these days, instead of talking about Parijasamupada, hmm, we talk about firewalls. So I can make you network engineers, give you all that knowledge, so you can go and buy yourself a firewall and then stick it at home. But then your child will find a way to bypass that. Because when you move one step forward, the perpetrators always move one step ahead of you. That's how always it is because there's, they, the, the, you know, the kid has a rash that needs itching. You putting a firewall is not going to fix it. You know, this is the reason we are so successful at our monastery. It's not because we have put down locks. It's not because everything is under lock and key. That's not why. I mean, if there was a food cabinet that had chocolate and biscuits and, you know, all sort of things that kids like, and we had to keep it under lock and key, you think we are successful? And that's the reason they don't go and, you know, stick their fingers and hands into it and start taking things out of it, like you do at home? You think that we would be successful? We wouldn't call ourselves successful if that is how we'd have to keep them out of it, putting a lock and key. Anyone can do that. We slay the beast within them, the demon within them, the devil within them. That is the devil of desire. We help them understand what taste is. Flavor is not something that you find in food. Just like sensuality is not something you will find in a female figure. It's not there. Because six hours ago, that was just a plate of rice. Maybe in six years' time, it'll be a box of ashes. This is just the present state. That's all. It's not fixed. It's just a manifestation. Yeah, people understand this. They do. This is not rocket science. You can understand this, but you just got to keep on telling people about this and getting them to practice. That's why I, I don't believe, you know, just bringing your child here once a day, once a week, and taking them back and home, and then they're going to be indoctrinated by all of their friends, they're online, they're on the phone, right? And then, back here, <clears throat> then on Siyumaga, whatever. That is good, but it's a very slow process. Because one step forward, six steps back. When do they complete the journey? Huh? Don't say never, it's disheartening. Others will hear you. Because environment is everything. I can't emphasize that enough, folks. Environment is everything. You are the product of your environment. The reason you dress your hair the way you do, the reason you wear your makeup the way you do, the reason you talk the way you do, you walk the way you do, all of this is because of the environment in which you were brought up. It was nature and nurture, both this. Your nature came with you when you were born. That was your karma and your vipaka. That is what nature is, your karma vipaka. The deeds you've done. So what is nurture? 
the environment. These are the two factors that decide and determine what your next step is, what your destiny is, where you're heading. So you don't have to be a victim of your karma because nurture can change all that. The Buddha has taught us how. Just because you've done bad deeds in the past doesn't mean you, ha- you are destined for the four great hells because that can be changed by nurture. It might be in your nature, but it can be changed by nurture with the right associations. Associating with noble friends completely changes your, na- your, your nurture and therefore whatever is in your nature that can be altered because your karmas have to come to fruition. Yeah, just... You know, when it's, it's just it's like your money. Money in the bank account is of what good use to you. What does it do for you? Does it help you eat better? Money in the bank account? Hmm? When you go to the restaurant, you take your card. First you go to the ATM. You withdraw your cash. And then you go and spend it. Money that is not spent helps you enjoy how? <laughs> no, the bank manager is enjoying that with a promise for a bit of interest. But even in the interest accumulates in the bank, now how does it help you enjoy? <laughs> huh? You've got a million in the bank and they give you 150% interest. And the, and the interest accumulates in the bank. Tell me, how do you enjoy that? Does it help you dress better? Look better? Eat better? Sleep better? Does it? No. That's the thing. People have completely gotten the wrong idea about money. <laughs> They think just keep stacking it, stacking it, stacking it, putting them in vaults. All it gives you is, is an opportunity to satisfy your ego. I've got so much. <laughs> Have you heard of Aputtaka? There was a statesman by the name of Aputtaka. He was referred to as the Aputtaka Situaraya, the statesman. He had a lot of money in the bank. He did. But he wouldn't even spend, on, spend it on himself, let alone others. Adinapubbaka didn't used to spend it on others. He'd like to keep it for himself. I mean, he didn't even spend it on his own son. But this guy, <laughs> he had so much, he wouldn't even spend it on himself. As I say, money in the bank is of no use to you personally. At least spend it. Because that creates the nurture for your nature to, to come to fruition. Unless you, unless you buy something, how does your vipaka come to play? So, anyway, I'm using that as an, as an analogy. My, the point I want to make, try and make is you have good karma and bad karma. If you create the environment, that's when the karma comes to fruition. Good or bad. So why are you here then? What are you trying to do? You are, you are doing, doing two things, actually. You're accumulating merits, right? So you're filling up your bank accounts, your merit account. At the same time, you're giving yourself the right nurturing so that your associations, the people you are surrounded by, where your ears are and what they're doing right now, the sights that you see, samanananja, dasana, all of this, it's drawing on your bank account. But... The wonderful thing about this is, every time it draws, it puts it more back in there. And merit. That's why in the ten meritorious deeds, listening to the Dhamma is one of them. 
Otherwise, you wonder. So if I keep listening to the Dhamma, I'm going to run out of merits. <laughs> I had better not do it right now and wait until maybe the next Buddha comes along. Not so. Because as you listen to the Dhamma, of course, you're consuming your merits, but at the same time, you're earning merits at a much, much faster rate. Because, you see, each time you listen to the Dhamma, your mind is cleansed, isn't it? It's purified. So therefore, the power of your merit increases. It's like taking five rupees out of the bank and putting ten back in. Where did, it, where did the five become the ten? With you. Another analogy would be, I throw a ball at you with very little energy. Can't you whack it out of the, out of the, you know, out the boundary? You could if you wanted to. So where did the ball get that energy from? From you. But you needed me to throw the ball at you in the first place. To that ball, you gave a lot of energy, and that energy was within you. Now, if you had little energy, then the ball comes to you and you just tap it, rather than whack it, and then the ball falls on your feet, at your feet, or by your feet. That's what happens. In the same way, in the same way when your merit comes to fruition, you always have the choice to whack it out of the boundary or have it drop on your at, by your feet. And you can, do it, you can throw it in one of two ways. Is money the root to evil? What do you think? No, money is not the root to evil. Look at what you have done. Look at what we've all done with money. The reason all of this is here, you know, people don't do all this for merits. We'll do it for merits, but you can't go to the shop, to the hardware store and say, can I have a box of uh, iron nails? Yes, here's the bill. Can I pay with merits? It's meritorious, sir. <laughs> He'll take it back and say, come back tomorrow. So you have to pay with money. So money, if money was the root to all evil, then how would any of this be here? How would you be able to eat today? How would any of this be here? Money is not the root to all evil. Ignorance and attachment are the root to all evil. Loba dosa moha, these are the roots of evil. They are called akusala mula. See, the Buddha has very wonderfully and so elaborately explained what the roots to evil are. Loba dosa moha, the root to all evil. Not money. He didn't say loba dosa moha and money. <laughs> what, the Buddha missed that? They didn't have money in his time? Then how did Anatha Pindika buy the land that was needed to build the monastery? Covered the whole land with gold coins. Because that was the challenge. He'd asked the previous owner, would you be willing to sell me this land? He said, well, yeah, if you laid you know, gold coins to fill the whole land, well, then I'll give it to you. That was just jesting. Anatha Pindika took it seriously. So you don't joke with another Vindika. <laughs> he takes things very seriously. He said, all right, I'll see you when I see you. So that's what he did. He went and found the money. He said, right, now there is enough money to lay one coin beside another and fill up the whole land. I've brought you enough coins now. Keep your, keep your part of the deal. The landowner was speechless. He hadn't expected it, but back in those days, you didn't need a contract. People were true to their word. If they said it, they said it. 
It was a done deal. Today you need a marriage certificate, right? Why? Don't answer. <laughs> Those days they didn't need that. Will you be my wife? I will, sir. Would you be my husband and look after me? Till that do, do we part? Yes, madam, I do. All right, that's it. Done deal. Today, will you be my wife? Yes. Not sure. Sign it. Oh, can I have someone to be a uh, bear witness? <laughs> I mean, just think about it. It's not just their signature. You need a witness. <laughs> just in case they lie about the signature. <laughs> Why? All because of one thing. That rash needs itching. It needs scratching. Because you're going to hold this rash against one person, right? You'll itch it, you'll, you'll scratch it, won't you? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'll scratch it for you. After a while, they don't scratch it for you. Oh, that scratching is not enough. Because what do you need, what you get today is not enough for tomorrow. Today's looks will only make you happy for today. Tomorrow, you've seen it once before. So familiarity breeds contempt. You've seen it once. It's not the same tomorrow. So tomorrow, you need, you need a different look. But how many times can you go to the saloon and <laughs> change your facial features? Ladies, how many times can they give you a makeover? I mean, what? They can make you look 10 years younger, right? But for how long? <laughs> huh? When you're 30, that'll do because it'll make you look 20. But then on the other side, your time is catching up. What about when you're 60? Now he can only make you look 50. The dude's not happy with that. He still wants 20. Because that's the person he got married to. Now, how are you going to satisfy? You're getting yourself into a contract that cannot be satisfied. The other party cannot be made happy. I mean, accept this as, as reality. This is the truth. But this is what most people don't tell you. They'll just keep on encouraging you. Go on, it's time now. Hmm? If, you keep, if you keep delaying this, when are you going to do it? Your good years are passing you by. What are, what are people going to start saying? They're going to start asking us all sorts of weird questions and then we'll have to find answers to them. Don't make us look bad among our neighbors and our relatives. My sister is always asking me why I have not married you off. I have to give her an answer. And so because you need to give your sister an answer, your daughter has to get married. I mean, come on. <laughs> what, your daughter's her property as well? So the marriage happens. Hmm? Little does do they know that he's a cheat. This is one of ten affairs. He's got nine more. He's very good at it. I mean, you've got to appreciate the good stuff, right? He's very good at it. What's good has to be appreciated. He's very skilled, he's very talented. Hmm? This is one of ten. You only find out after signing the dotted line, after the rings have been exchanged, now, after the marriage has been consummated, now what do you do?
find out another two years later and you have a child in a womb as well. Now what do you do? This is how all hell breaks loose. On that day you ask, if only I could go back in time now. Ah, well, you didn't catch the tide. So now it's time that time taught you a lesson. Because time and tide wait for no man. See, this advice is freely given. But, generally speaking, <laughs> advice is least heeded when it's most needed, isn't it? After the fact, you don't need advice. You can see what's happened. <laughs> advice is not needed once you've got yourself into a train crash. Once you've gotten yourself into a car crash, you don't need advice because you know you, had, you should have worn the seatbelt. So what's the point of bringing a bunch of people who've got whiplashes, filling them in a room and telling them, wear your seatbelts. <laughs> then they'll say, yes, Swami Nasa, but I'm not going to be able to drive again. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so why don't you bring a, a room full of people? who are still drivers, who can still drive, and then we'll teach them to wear the seatbelt. You teach them, they wouldn't listen. <laughs> As I say, advice is please heed it when it's most needed. These young girls, their parents have gifted them the sasana. Because their parents heeded the advice that the Mahasangha was able to impart upon them with compassion. When I had already made the mistake in my life, why do, need, why do you need to make why do you need to make it again? When these Anagarika Mahatmyas and some of them have made these mistakes in their lives, why do you need to make them and learn again for yourself? Must learnings always be personal? What about shared learning? What about that? Why can't we learn from others? I mean, even if all goes well, he's not a cheat, he's a saint, let's just say. Hmm? He'll, he looks after and loves your parents more than he does his. Well, let me paint this picture for you. <laughs> well, don't you like Peter Pan stories? Hmm? Fantasies? Don't you like them? Even if all that is good, he doesn't drink, he doesn't smoke. He's vegetarian as well. And he goes to the temple 31 days a month. Even if all that was true, you're getting yourself into a connection which will only leave you in grief and in fear. Because remember, two people come together because both of them have a, ha, they have a rash that needs scratching. Scratching rashes is not the answer to treating it. That's why I say eating an ice cream is not the answer to wanting ice cream. You know this out of your own life experience. How many ice creams have you eaten by now? Do you not want another one? 
in the same manner, scratching your rash of sensuality is not the answer, because how many times have you scratched it so far? Wouldn't you like to have it scratched again? The answer is not abstaining from it either. Though that's not what I'm saying. There's a scratch, there's a rash, you, 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 you take a determination, I'm not going to scratch it. That's not the answer either. You need to treat it. They may be kavyanta. It's neither scratching nor abstaining. It's neither of these two that need, need to be done. What needs to be done is the Four Noble Truths. Anicca Dukkha Nanatta. The Dhamma. That is the medicine. So do I or don't I? Wrong question. What should I? That is the question. What should you do? What you should do is the Dhamma. But I'm trying to paint a picture for you and I'm trying to explain to you what's going on out there. Especially if you are still young and if you have young children. I mean, we are now in what, 2024? They say in 2050... Buddhist philosophy will be the most prominent philosophy and they say Buddhism will be the most prominent religion. There cannot be a lot of good unless there's also a lot of bad. Because these two things have to keep each other in balance. If there's yin, there has to be yang. Otherwise the world is not in equilibrium. This world can't survive without that. You need both good and bad, so plus balances the minus. It has to be so. So if that is going to be the most prominent religion, the most prominent philosophy, take a moment and ask yourselves, why, why then? Why is that so? What's going to get people to become interested in Buddhism? Start, just think about that. You know, on our way to 2050, why are people going to become more interested in Buddhism? You know why? Because they'll keep on scratching their rashes. And they'll become desperate. Before, it, before this happens, before Buddhism becomes the number one religion out there, or Buddhist philosophy becomes the most accepted philosophy out there, before that happens, something else will happen. We as a human race will have become A very unvirtuous will have become vile, will have become vicious, we have will have fallen on our knees just in our efforts to try and scratch the rash of desire. That is bound to happen before the other is to happen. Because if that's going to happen with Buddhism, it has to be the answer to a problem. You don't give pro- nature doesn't give solutions unless there's a problem. So that problem is going to come first and the answer is going to come next. Now, 2050 is what? How many years from now? About 30 odd years. Not that many. We are now 2024. So, another 26 years. Another 26 years. Most of you will be there. Again, I'm speaking to the wrong audience. People who need to hear me say this, they're not here. Most of you will be there. 
if natural death doesn't come to you, then most of you will be there. You will be able to witness what I explained to you today, what I have explained to you today, and what we are discussing today. You will be able to witness this. Technology will keep on advancing at such a rapid rate, you won't be able to imagine what we are going to be capable of with technology in the next 10 years' time. Today, you can't even imagine what we are going to be capable of, ladies and gentlemen. It's beyond your wildest imaginations. Computers can almost think now. Very advanced, very intelligent. Nothing wrong with that, per se. Nothing wrong with that. Because it's, you know, anything becomes a weapon in the wrong hands. What is this? I'll ask you again. What is this? Those who have felt the force of this on your foreheads will know what I'm talking about. But this is very harmless. They sell it on the high street. I mean, they don't sell weapons on the high street, do they? You need a license to have a weapon. But this, they sell it to you on the high street. But this, in the wrong hands. So technology, then imagine that, in the wrong hands. It will bring humanity to its knees before 2050 and the other, you know, this, this goal that we are all ambitious about this goal that we are all aspiring to and looking forward to happens, something else will happen. Our youth will be in tatters. You know the harm that drugs are doing these days? Developed nations, not just them, but other, because most of it comes from other places. Developing nations, developed nations. I mean, you, you have to begin to question, in what ways are they developed? And in what ways are they developing? If by developed you means you have the means to scratch your rashes, how developed is that? If by developing you mean they're building up the, the ability to scratch their rashes, how developing is that? Is that what developing is? All the while deterioration is happening. All the while decline is happening. But people are blind to that. Don't miss the boat, is what I have to say to each of you personally. Don't miss the boat. It's not going to be in the harbor forever. Like the Sasaradumriya. It's not going to be on the platform forever. Don't miss that boat. You have youth on your side, all of you. If you are this side of death, you have youth on your side. If you can hear what I'm saying, if this is making sense to you, if you feel like you still have the ability, you have potential, then you have youth on your side. Something can be done about your life because one chitta is all it needs. You know, there, no one ever has two arahat marga chittas ever in sansara. It only happens once. Only one marga chitta. In any stream of thought, you will only ever have one sotapanna marga chitta. Only one. Only one sakrudagami marga chitta. Only one arahat marga chitta. So one chitta is all, is all that is required. But marga is stepping yourself up 
to that stage where you become one arahant. So really the arahat palajitta is not the one that needs to be celebrated because that is the effect of causes. It is what raises you to that level. That is what needs to be celebrated. The work that goes into making an arahant, that is what needs to be celebrated. That is what you're doing right now. You're doing the work that is needed to become an arahant, to make an arahant out of you. That is what needs to be celebrated. Once you become an arahant, job done. Don't hang around. Get out. Once you become an arahant, if you come, tell me, I have become an arahant. I'm going, oh, well, done. You know, pat on the back and you know, celebrate and throw a party. No. Have you? All right, then go help others. Because it's lifting others, lifting whatever. It doesn't have to be others. Because there is no others and me and you and he and she here. It's lifting to Nibbana. That is the position of the sasana. Sabba, Papa, Sakaranam, Kusala, Supasampada, Sachitta, Pariyodapana. All three of these are lifting the mind to the state of Arahatud. That is what we have to celebrate. Because what is more important is the journey. Once you're at the destination, job done. If you're done, then right, okay. Help others on the journey. The mission of the Buddha Sasana is all about the journey. That's what we're doing here. This temple is not a museum for Arahants, but it is a hospital for sinners. Because see, what we do here is we transform sinners to saints. That is what we are. It is what we are doing for ourselves. It is what we are doing for our students. It is what we are doing for our devotees who come here. Believing in the Dhamma, trusting in the Noble Triple Gem, for having seen and experienced what it can do. So I'm saying, what I'm trying to say is, don't miss that boat because you are the product of your environment and it's getting pretty bad out there. It's getting very bad out there. Every day, how many videos do you think get uploaded to these social media channels? You begin to wonder where do they put this stuff? Hmm? How many hours, actually no, how many days worth of video do you think get uploaded to these social media platforms? It has proliferated all aspects of people's life. You know, nothing is sacred anymore, right? Nothing is sacred anymore. Everything is up for social media. Those as it you know, it used to be many, many, many years ago, maybe in the generation of my grandparents and maybe even before that. Would you believe me if I told you that the relationship between a husband and a wife is sacred? Today that sounds like a joke. Husband and wife? Sacred? What's sacred? They're only getting together for one thing. Today, yes. It's very much so. I won't say 100% of the cases, but 99%, yes. You're the only different one. But those days, it used to be a sacred relationship. That's why they used to go to the Kovil. They used to go to the church. In the name of God, I pronounce you husband and wife. Don't you think that was sacred? It was sacred. That's why they didn't need a piece of paper to sign. 
Because it was an oath you were taking to God. I swear that until I die, I will look after this woman. It was sacred. People used to go to the temple to get blessings. But that is not just something they used to do to get married. It's what they'd always been doing. But because marriage was a special event in their lives, they didn't exclude that. But today, sometimes the only time that people go to the church, to the kovil, to the temple, to the mosque, is on the day of their marriage. Someone has to stand by the side just in case they get lost as they walk into the shrine room. <laughs> Never been there. So now tell me then, what do you think they're asking for blessings for? This is the first time they're walking into the temple. First time they're going to the church. Before that, you know, God, who's God? But now they want to make friends with God. Because all this while they were waiting for an opportunity to scratch their rashes. Hmm? Money was their God. Because it helped them do what? Scratch their rashes. Is this too harsh? Hmm? Yes? No? Is this okay? Is this still YouTube friendly? Can we get this sermon online? I don't know. <laughs> because when, when I see you, I just speak freely. You, you know, you're part of the furniture now. <laughs> That's why I don't have to ask you to sit down. You know, the furniture is already sat down, isn't it? We're <laughs> all familiar faces, so I can speak to you freely now. So no holes barred. Husband and wife used to be sacred. Then consider what mother and son used to be. Hmm? But now even that is online, isn't it? It's cheap as chips now. You don't have to pay for it even. You just need to get yourself online. The sacred relationship between a mother and son. The sacred relationship between a son and a, between a daughter and a father. It's all there, it's all fair game now. Because whatever helps you scratch your rash. I mean, after you've experienced what you know, what you are familiar with a few times, right? then the same thing doesn't please you the next day. Cake is tasty today, yes. Strawberry cake, it tastes very nice in the first bite. Second bite, you need, a, you need some cream on it. Third bite, you need some jelly on it. Fourth bite, you need some peanut butter on it. <laughs> it only tastes plain, tastes good, the plain piece of cake on the first bite. Now, if that is what sensuality is, you tell me where this is going to stop if you can. I ask you. Where do you think this is going to stop? The relationship between a mother and son is sacred. Then you know what they'll begin to show. Actually, I'm probably behind the curve. Maybe a father. By father, I mean a priest in a church. So far, I don't believe they've been able to put a monk
but is this a rash that needs scratching? Natirago samanhaki. Until every twig, every leaf is burned to dust, this fire will keep on spreading. I'm talking to you about the nature of desire, ladies and gentlemen. Look within yourselves whether you still have that beast. If it's still there, don't think to yourselves that you are special. That is a feeling that you will get, you know, it's, it's inherent with jati. You feel that you are special. You feel that you're different. You feel how somehow you're immune. And there's a reason for that as well. The reason for that is, you always make judgments about the, about the future you based on your present you. That's the way it works. That's why when you fall out with a friend, you think, that's it, I'm never going to talk to him again. But next day, you're going out for dinner with him. But in that moment, you project the future you based on the present you. That is, that is the nature of jati. Jati is always like that. Because what else is it going to base the future on? Because the future hasn't yet happened. So the only data that's available is what's happening right now. And maybe some memories from the past. But there is no data whatsoever to build a future, is there? It's not happened yet. So based on the present, which is the most prominent, it's right there, available to you right now. You don't need to exert yourself and go back into memory and bring in you know, fragments from, from memory. You don't even have to struggle for that. You don't have to work hard on that. So therefore, you, people are usually very, they're very prejudiced about what's going to happen in the future because they look at what's happening right now and then they predict that if this is now, then the future will be something like this. That's why you get onto the Poranua, sorry, Porua. <laughs> when you get onto the Porua, you get, you get, when you get onto the Porua, right, you hold that hand, you exchange those rings, and you tie that thread around the fingers, and you think, right, this is going to be a life, life of wonderful bliss. Forever we are going to be. You look at each other in the eye. The eye speaks at that time, doesn't it? Will you? I will. Forever? Yeah. Forever and ever? Hmm. Forever and ever. You all, you all heard these stories out from there and from within as well. Go back in time. If you've been there, if you got yourself on that poor world, just think to yourself, all the feelings, the emotions as they engulfed you. And they completely transformed you. Where's all this? Why, why did you bring this to us today? I'm wondering where all this is coming from. <laughs> Prevention is better than cure. Always. But go back in time. Right? Trace your steps back, all the way back. Past all the heartaches, past all the broken promises, huh? past all the hardships, past all the broken noses, and the, and the hittings and the beatings and the slappings, and then you can get back onto the poru, right? Yeah? Yeah. Okay, so walk yourself back. Get onto that poru again. Now, think to yourself, try and remember the feelings and the emotions that were bubbling inside of you and you thought, oh, wonderful, this is the moment I've been waiting for all my life. Amma, bye! <laughs>
All the while your mother is like, Ayyo, my little girl. Even your mother, you are, you are prepared to say goodbye to. And the father was there, my little girl. How can I let go of you? Dad, now I have a new owner. I found my Prince Charming. He is going to look after you. He's my knight in shining armor. <laughs> you needn't worry about me. And then from that day, how many times did you go back to your dad? <laughs> Crying on your knees, Ayyo, Tati, he's not looking after me. He said this, but now he's doing that. He promised this, but now he's delivering that. I only now today realize that I am one of ten. <laughs> huh? But on that day, none of that. If you could foresee your future, you would get off the poor at that moment. You would. You would. But the people surrounding you, the people who were with you, right? everyone, they were there, dressed in their finest, all cheering you on. Put on the music, and the music was playing. All those songs were saying what? Ah. You are my angel. Those are what the songs were saying. They're also indoctrinations, don't you, don't you forget? Every love song you listen to, it moves you one step into sansara. <coughs> Otherwise you have to listen to it mindfully. I mean, if you're mindful, why shouldn't you listen to love songs? I'm listening to love songs, but with mindful awareness. Huh? <laughs> What on earth is that? How can you listen to a love song mindfully aware? Mindfully aware of what? Anichidu kanatta. You can't do that. Because it is not something the body needs and it is not something the mind needs. The emotion of love cannot, cannot arise in the mind if it's mindfully aware. Simple as that. I don't speak of the love that the Buddha showed to everyone. That is unconditional. They're not the same thing. It is not tainted in defilements. It is not, it is not to get a rash scratched. It's holy. It's like none other. I'm not talking about that love. I'm talking about dirty love. Love that is not pure. Love that is selfish. Love that is only given if the above conditions are fulfilled. That kind of love. Is always dependent. We, you know, we've all been there. And again, you know, I'm not pointing my fingers at anyone out there. I'm not saying that they broke your trust. They gave you promises that they were not willing to keep. No, no. In fact, the moment they were giving those promises, excuse me, I'd say 90% of them. I can't vouch for everyone. Excuse me. But I'd say 90% of them, they genuinely thought that they were going to look after you, be with you, be, tr be truthful to you. They genuinely thought that, just as you did. But if there are any among you who, for whatever reason, were unfaithful in your relationship, 
You never thought that that would happen to you on that day. Because that is what jati does. When jati happens in the mind, it always projects based on not the future data. Because there is no such thing as future data. It hasn't happened yet. You have your memories, but what is more prominent is your current state of mind. If you feel that you are going to be truthful, if you feel that you are going to be loyal, you will think that you forever, the rest of your life, you will be loyal. And therefore, you freely promise things. I mean, how many times have you made promises later to find out that you are not able to keep it? And you think, why did I make that promise? If only I had seen today when I made that promise, I wouldn't have made it, you, you tell yourself. Because in that moment, you think the future will just be fine. I can, I can keep that promise. That's the nature of jati. So, you know, it's not something you do deliberately. Cause and effect, again. No one's doing it. There's only the done. But what I'm saying is, you know, all of this leads to suffering. It leads to accruing karmas which you're going to regret the vipakas of. There's another path. There's an alternative. There's freedom. You are not in control of your thoughts, unfortunately. For as long as your mind is hijacked by ignorance and attachment, don't come telling me, Swaminas, I know exactly what I'm doing. No, you don't. You're not in control. You're not the driver of your car. Someone else is. It's been hijacked. That's why you find yourselves doing things that you later regret. Sometimes doing things in that moment, in that moment, you know, you're alternating between two chittas. One chitta said, don't. The other said, no, do. The other said, don't, do, don't, do. How many times? So it's, it's not don't do until ultimately you actually do. And then you think to yourself, why did I do? Because after it's done, now you don't have the do. So now you only have the other part. That's what happens. So you have the devil and the angel. These two are in constant battle. See, if there was such a thing as you, how can you be torn between two, two thoughts, two ideas? How can that, that be so? I mean, do you see this at one point a saucer, another time a cup, another time a giraffe, another time an elephant? Do you see this changing? No, but what about... So therefore we can say, no, this is a saucer. Right? It's fixed. Let's just assume. But what about you? Your thoughts keep changing so rapidly, you know, flippant. Pandanang chapalhan chitta. Like a fish out of water. Have you not caught yourself in those moments? Like a fish out of water, just, you know, jumping up and down, trying to get back into the water. Have you never caught yourself in, in those situations, in those circumstances? Where, where you want to do something, but you, you just can't get yourself to do it. Or you want to try and not do something. But there's a, there's, there's a rash that says scratch, scratch, scratch. You say, no, 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 can't do it. This is not right. It's not decent. People are watching. It's not right. She's my sister. Nothing is holy anymore. That's the current state of affairs. It's all online. All online. Now it's okay to fantasize about your grandmother. Too much? That's too much. Yikes. Thankfully we have a moderation team.
Now it's okay to fantasize about your grandmother. It's okay to fantasize about take out the grandpot. All is fair game. Because in the world of Raga, Raga is a Mara. In the world of Mara, right? You're just a victim. Your chitta is just a victim. Your mind is just a slave. So it's not Simon says jump anymore. It says Mara says jump. Then people jump. Mara says sit. People sit. Mara says eat. Honestly, tell me. Most of the time you eat. Who says? Who says? Mara. So we can play a new game, not Simon says. Mara says. Mara says go online. There's no homework to do, no assignments to submit, no weather reports to check. You find yourself going online. Mara says open incognito mode. And the incognito mode gets open. Mara says type in www. I'm not going to say the rest of it. Mara says type.com. Mara says hit enter. So this is the Maran. So on this side, you still have. Swami Nuance said this would happen. He said, don't do it. Swami Nuance said, this is the fire of desire. Once it starts, it's going to completely burn you out. Stop it now. Stop it now. Stop it now. If you don't stop now, there's no coming back. Let's not get past the point of no return. The angel keeps saying. That angel is the Buddha. Because you have Buddha Chittas and Mara Chittas. They just fluctuate all the time. Until you become steady. <clears throat> but for that, you need the environment. For that, you need the Kalyanamitra. You need noble association so that they can constantly keep feeding you, feeding you, feeding you, feeding you, until you become steady. As I said, my objective is ultimately, I want to be able to get these noble heart children sat in front of a website and show them everything. And ask them, what does that do for you, Buddha? Like they said the other day, just my biological mother. In the same way, I want them to be able to say, just a piece of chicken. Just a piece of chicken. Just a plateful of rice. Just a slice of bread. Just a piece of cake. I want it for them to be just a piece of cake. To be able to sit down. I'm trying to under the browser. The worst you can imagine. It's just Rupa, Swami Nansa. And there's a Vinyana. Now, Tanha Rati Raga. They have no business here. You said you tell me this is impossible? Hmm? You think this is impossible? I am not reading this from a book. I know this is possible. Because day by day we are getting there. <laughs> I know who I was. So I know who I am now. So I know what the Dhamma can do. And if this is what the Dhamma can do in six years, just imagine what it can do for those young children. For these young children. For these young ladies. For these young men. For all of you. Those behind the camera who still can't make their mind up, so come and join here, here and sit in front of us. Always watching online. 
watch online once a day. You need this. Guru Handro talked to us on Thursday when we have the all, all stuff. <laughs> he spoke to all of us. He speaks to us every other Thursday. And he said, he said this, he said, you know, in sansara you get plenty of lives. Just one life, commit it entirely to the Buddha. Just one life. The next one, commit it to whoever. To a woman, to a man, to a master, anyone. Commit it to anyone you want, to God. Commit it to anyone, but one life out of countless more. Yeah? Because we are no short of lives, <laughs> are we? There's, there's plenty. If a cat has nine, how many do we have? <clears throat> so there are plenty where, that, where they came from. And so there are plenty more. He said, commit one life to the Buddha entirely. Because what you do, you've got to do right. Anything done half-hearted will give you half the yield. That's it. I mean, you, we have nothing to fear. As good Buddhists, we believe that after this, there's going to be another one. After that, there's going to be another one. And we know that there were plenty more where this came from. Right? So therefore, we have nothing to fear, nothing to risk. And besides, if you have begun to believe that karma is what gives you vipaka, in this sasana, you don't do any bad things because there are, there's no environment for that. Yeah, but you know that out there, whether you're a mother, you're a father, you're a doctor, you're a lawyer or engineer, circumstances will force you away to doing... Say, ten good, what one bad? You can't not fall for that. There'll always be that. Someone's going to come and twist your arm and, get, and say, just quickly, can you just sign this for me? Just a, just a quick, small favor. And you know that signing that is not the right thing to do because there are many others who are going to lose a chance. But personal favors, you have to. Just ask yourselves. In your careers, have you never had these times where people have come to you for personal favors? And you know they've not, they're, not really, they're not really following the process. They're not going through the procedures. And besides, like I said, purpose is most important. This is not for Nibbana. This is not so that you know, someone at, at the end of this will be able to free themselves from suffering entirely. This is so that they can go and build a house, buy some land, hmm? buy a car, buy some property earn some money, make a profit. And they ask you a small favor, can you just quickly sign this for me? And here's a cake. Here's some bananas. Here's some, here's some what, curd and a bottle of treacle. Can you just sign that for me? Oh, and don't forget to come for lunch. Just sign that for me. I mean, if you are, say, a principal of a school, nothing against them. I'm just saying, you know, we have to save them. When the Buddha saw a group of young boys attacking a snake, the Buddha intervened to save the boys. Exactly. To save the boys. Because it was too late to save the snake. It had already become one. Sometimes people say, Swami you, you don't you don't seem to be in favor of vegetarianism. Well, I ask you, what is vegetarianism? After all, but then they say, but if you stop killing animals for food, then that stops cruelty to the animals. You can't stop cruelty to animals. Yes. They are born with the karma. If you don't kill it, someone else will. 
If you don't kill a deer, the leopard will. If you don't kill a chicken, the fox will. It's going to be just as painful. But if you stop killing, you don't have to be the victim next time round. So, yes, I am in favor of vegetarianism. Actually, what I'm, favor of, what I'm in favor of is stopping killing all beings. That I'm in favor of. If for that you have to have vegetarianism, then I'm in favor of that. But it's not so. Not necessarily. But anyway, that's not what I was going to talk about. Got sidetracked again. What was I talking about? Today is a mixed bag. <laughs> we are all over the place. <laughs> about? Committing. committing. Yes, thank you, madam. Guru Swami Mohan says invitation to commit one lifetime to the Buddha entirely, fully, 100%. That's what these young girls have done. Because, you know, if you do a little bit of everything, you become a jack of all trades. You can do a little bit of sport, a little bit of music, a little bit of TV, a little bit of gaming, a little bit of internet, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Right? But if you can commit yourself 100%, whatever that 100% is entirely dependent on your circumstances. Yeah. So I'll be the first to say that. If you can commit your 100%, your 100%, not mine, if you can commit your 100%, I mean, I don't know how to commit myself any more than this, besides my daily practice. Physically, I have committed myself entirely. If you can commit yourself 100% to the Buddha Sasana, the Buddha will give you the reward that he promises those who do that. That's it. And if you can get that done, just by committing one lifetime, let's say Nibbana doesn't happen for you. Let's just say Nibbana is fake. Right? The Buddha was talking about Nibbana, but all of that is fake. There's no such thing called Nibbana. Let's say you come to that conclusion at the end of this lifetime. So what? You have plenty more. Think about how you spend the past lives. If your past lives were so successful, what are you trying to do today? <laughs> huh? Why are you trying to earn a living today if your past lives were so successful? How many times have you been born in Sansar? And count Swami as one, I was a monkey, then I was a donkey, then I was a cow, then I was a mother. Hmm? How many times? Many? Countless times. Yeah? If any of those lifetimes meant anything, amounted to anything, I mean it has because you've been born a human being, right? And you have come across Asasana, right? I agree that with that. But that was the merits, not actually being born as whatever. It's the merits that you did. Do you get the difference there? It's the merits that you did. Even if you were born a cow, if you did some merits, that might have helped you become a human being. Not you being born a cow. That didn't help you at all. So being born a king or an emperor or a prince, whatever, you know, none of those things helped. There are many kings who die and go into the four great hells. So, Najacha Vasalohoti. It is not your birth that determines whether you go on to become a great man or, or whether you can go on to greatness or failure in life. It's not your birth that determines that. It's your karma that you do. Kamana hoti brahmano. 
Kamana Vasalohoti. It's a karma that you do. So whatever you have, whatever you enjoy today, whatever rewards you reap today, these are all because of your karma. It matters not what you were born as. But so I ask you the question then, in all these previous births in Sansara, in all these previous incarnations you've come through in Sansara, what have they amounted to, ladies and gentlemen, if today you have to start it all again? You were born this time with nothing in the bank. Yes? You were born this time with not a thread on your body. You were born this time with the ailing bodies that you have come into this world with. What about the things you learned in your last life? You were a professor. Where's all that gone? You were a doctor. Where's all that gone? You were a grad. Where's all that gone? So therefore you have to start again. So what did it all amount to? Last time also you got married. Hmm? You reconciled. You, saw, you, you had your arguments and then you made up and you broke up and you made up and you broke up and you made up and you broke up. Same drill. Nothing's changed. So then back in this birth, or in, in, in this birth, again if you have to make those relationships, Again, if you have to nurture those relationships, again, if you have to reconcile those differences and make hearts up and talk and discuss and argue and soothe the soul, so to speak, <laughs> if you have to do all that again, then all that effort done in the past, what for? What for? So, therefore, Guru Handra asks us, if you've done all these things in the past and there are plenty more opportunities to do them in the future, how about you commit one life completely to the Buddha? You know, here's the deal, ladies and gentlemen. For some merits of yours, right? say for one, some merit of yours, you've been born a Buddhist. Hmm? Or somehow you were influenced to study Buddhism. You were perhaps born into a Buddhist family, or sometime you came across a, a teaching, you came across a philosophy. At least now you're all Buddhists. You are born Buddhist. I'm not talking speaking another religion. I'm speaking about the philosophy. What if this doesn't happen for you next time? <laughs> hmm? Just think about it. Knowing what you know now, hmm? knowing what you know now about the Buddha's teaching, about Anicca, about Dukkha, about Anatta, and about the Mahasangha, about the great elders Sariputta and Mahamoggallana, knowing what you know now, can you risk not having any of this or being born into an environment, into circumstances where you don't have any of this? What guarantee can you give me that next time also I will be a Buddhist? What guarantee? What guarantee? To be a, to be a Buddhist next time, you have to be a Sotapanna this time. That is the only guarantee. If you become a Sotapanna, you will forever be a Buddhist until the end of sansara. However long that might be. Until then, your drushti can change. In the next chitta, your mind can be changed. Next chitta. What happens after death? You lose all your memory. A new chitta is born in a new body. You need the brain to access your memories. That brain is no longer. Right? So you lose your memories. In physical, in human form, you need the brain to access your memories. In other forms, maybe not so. That's how sometimes when you have brain damage or Alzheimer's and various other conditions, you, there are conditions which make you forget your past. 
So there are physical aspects that contribute to that. So once this body breaks down and you lose all your memory, then another chitta will be born in a new body and you'll be just brand new. Brand new. A new canvas, so to speak. And then who is going to come and draw their lines on them, curves on them, start coloring them? You become the, the, the work of art of that artist. Of that artist. I'll tell you this much though. You're not going to meet Guru Hanthra again. That much I can tell you. If you want to risk it, you are brave. You're not going to meet Guru Hanthra again. <laughs> so whatever your 100% is, I say, invest that. I believe that I only learned who the Buddha was through my teacher. I tried to be good. I observed the precepts whenever I could. I gave alms, but I only got to know the Buddha when I came across my teacher. Until then, I thought the Buddha was a man. I didn't know he was four. Chinese. I didn't know he was no man. I thought he was a man. So I venerated him as best I could. And I thought if I do bad things and he's going to be angry with me, and then he would punish me. As I used to think. You know, it's nice to give something to people, so I used to give to the monks. <laughs> that was out of entirely different intentions. I was, I was giving them, I was showing them my charity. <laughs> Little did I know that they were showing me their charity by letting me give them. I know this today when I take my arms ball in my hand and go on arms round. I know the feeling today. I know why the Mahasangha creates an opportunity, creates an environment so that people who aspire to Nibbana, so that one day it might happen for them, they, give, they create an opportunity so that people can offer. Because two factors determine how much merits one earns. One is the purity on your side, the other is the purity on the receiving side. I mean, it's like they, they, they polish, the, they, they sharpen the weapon on our behalf. No? The Swami Nuhan says, whoever they might be, wherever in the world they might come from, they spend their lives in the monastery, some in, the, in, in jungles, in thick forests, some in caves, right? isolated from all civilization, all comforts in life. I mean, even that is a virtue, after all. In a world where, you know, the moment a rash is on your, on your body, you can't, you can't just even think for a second straight. Think straight for a second. You have to just keep on itching yourself in a world like that. I mean, celibacy itself, today we must consider it a great virtue. It, it's no big deal once you understand the Dhamma. You, then you begin to wonder, <laughs> that's a virtue? <laughs> celibacy is a virtue? Really? <laughs> I think, was it last week I asked you, why do you not commit adultery? Yes. Is it because it's bad, it's sinful, and it will go to the hells? Today you begin to understand this, you know. I mean, why would someone commit adultery? 
you'll ask. I ask, why does someone get married? Why does someone get into a relationship? When love is tainted, once you put it on the surgical table, you begin to understand that only true love is compassion. You know, if you really love someone, truly love someone, really only want the best for them, shouldn't you teach them how to be happy without you? Answer. If you teach them how to be happy only with you, are you not planting in them a ticking time bomb? Hmm? The moment you tell them, I love you, and if if those feelings are reciprocated, you know that it's only a matter of time before they cry, before they begin to weep, because they begin to grieve. Because you're giving them a promise that you can't keep. I love you and I'll always make you happy. What lies? Otherwise, you have to be responsible. And just before you're passing away, you should you know, try and do something to hurt their feelings and break up with them. <laughs> so they don't grieve on your behalf. Now they're happy that you're gone. How can a mother do that to her child? You know, this is just madness. So, you know, so when you embrace your children, you hug them, you love them, you caress them, you, you smother them with your mother's love, it's all fine. As long as you give them the Dhamma also. Show them love, show them what a mother can do. Right? But unless you give them the sasana, you're only teaching them how to suffer, not now, but later. <laughs> Sorry, mothers. What you're doing is you're teaching your children how to suffer later. That's what you're doing. Teaching them how to suffer later. I love you, my son. Don't you know Ami loves you a lot? I remember, I remember asking my mother one day, Amma, wait a second. <laughs> that was the day I realized that people die. I said, hold on, are you going to die? She said, uh, 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 so she, in the first time a child asks you this question, you know, <laughs> now mother has to be careful how she answers this. It's like asking, where did I come from? <laughs> mother has to be careful how she answers this. You know, they're almost equal, these two questions. Where did I come from and where are you going to go? <laughs> Very sensitive topics. So she says, ultimately, uh, yeah, yes, yes, I'm, I'm going to die. I didn't want to hear any more. I went into my room, locked myself, and cried till the morning. <laughs> but my dear mother had nothing she could say that could bring me solace. Nothing. I remember. She came up to me, knocked on the door, Puta, let me talk to you, Puta, Puta. Come on, let me talk to you. Let Ami talk to you. And I was just screaming inside, crying my eyes out, because I didn't want to let go of my mother. I loved her. So ultimately, I was hungry. (laughs) (laughs) That's what happens to babies when they start crying, right? They get hungry. So the mother comes in. She hugs me. She starts saying things. And I'm I'm waiting to hear an answer from her, a solution to my problem. Tell me, mother, how I can be free of this. Nothing she said brought me solace. All I had to do was make my 
blooming mind up. That's all I could do. She could not teach me that death was merely a concept in the mind. My teacher taught me that. Can you risk not seeing him again? By not committing yourself as best as you can, can you risk that? To realize this truth. Now, even if my mother comes and tells me, Oh, you know what? Uh, next door, neighbors, yes. Well, they've fallen now to us and apparently they're going to set the house on fire. Ah, okay. Can I give you a sermon before that? That's all I'll tell them. Honestly. I mean, see, you know, I'm in the middle of a sermon, someone comes and says, I mean, that's a quick emergency. I say, Nanagari comes. Emergency. What? What's happened? You just got news that your mother's passed away. Right. Can you ask Apache to wait until I finish the sermon? And we'll continue from where we stopped. Then I have to go and talk to him and help him come to terms with it. But as he's not here in the association of the noble Sangha, you know, one, one talk is not going to change him. One talk is not going to change him. For that, you need to be in the association of the Mahasangha. Bhikkhu bhikkhuni upasaka and upasika. This is the Sangha. You are the people that my dad needs to be in association with. You are the people that my mother needs to be in association with. And I think you can say the same about your own parents. Oh, how I wish my mother could come and sit down with these Anagarika Mahatmas and spend some time talking with them. How I wish my father could come and speak to some of our monks and our Anagarika Mahathas and spend some time talking with them. Here's a mother who's done that for her daughter. How wonderful. This is the gift that a parent should give her child. The path to deathlessness. Show me another path if you can. <laughs> Being born is not the answer to death. Because deathless, death is a concept. It's a mental concept. It's a creation of the mind. Old age is a creation of the mind. Decay is a figment of your own imagination. So to free from that, you just got to understand the truth. <laughs> That's what we're here for. So don't miss this boat. Is what I ask each and every one of you to do yourselves a favor. Don't miss this boat. If I could go back to my younger years, I'd give up school without a question. They have a school here. You've got to learn a few things. Yes, how to tie your shoelaces. How to brush your teeth. You know, how to do some numbers, work some science. You've got to learn a few basics. I mean, my, I don't think my grandmother went to school. She did just fine. She had 11 children. <laughs> I mean, she, she brought up her children and then they brought up me. Do you think my grandmother went, went wrong somewhere? Well, I wish she was able to come across the Dhamma. But what I'm suggesting is, if I had this chance, in my, I would go back to my younger years and go back 
and then come here. If I could, I would. But at least we've been able to start, you know, so as a middle part of our lives, that's still okay. Still okay, as long as we are diligent in our practice. I think great things can happen. But I ask each and every one of you, don't miss that boat. And every day that passes is another opportunity that you bid farewell to. Time doesn't come back. And tides, they don't come back either. Another one might come. Another one might come. But if you're not ready, if you're not prepared, then that's just another one. Just go on. So, ask yourselves, each and every one of you, ask yourselves this question as we, you know, propel into the new year and we plan on what we're going to do with the rest of our lives. Ask yourself this question, am I doing my 100% for my Nibbana? Am I where I should be? Am I doing what I ought to be doing? Am I spending time with the people I ought to be spending time with to do something meaningful with my life? Or are the things I'm going to be doing in the next week in the next month, over the course of the next year, simply a means to death. It's just something that people have to do until they die. What a, what a meaningful life, isn't it? Now that we are born, we just have to keep doing something so that people will give us something to feed ourselves, so that people will give us something to dress ourselves, clothe ourselves, put a shelter over our heads, huh? to earn the four requisites and to scratch our rashes. Right? We just have to keep doing something. Do you see how there's no end to this? Don't undermine the value of your lives. Always say this. Don't underestimate the value of your lives. If you give your life this much value, this much, people, everyone else will give you this much value. Whatever value you give your lives, others will only undermine that. They will undervalue that. That's all. It's like the insurance companies. After the event, what are they called? Loss adjusters. Hmm? Assessors, yes, thank you, madam. The assessors, right? After the event, they'll come and say, no, it's not worth that much. We'll pay you 75% of that. Take it or leave it. It's the same with life. If you give yourself this much value, everyone else in the world will give you this much value. Ask yourself if that is not true. You waste one hour of your time, people around you will waste ten of yours. That's how it works. So giving value to your life should come from where then? Where should it come from? From within yourselves. Don't be another scriptwriter's drama. You write your own script. Because whoever you are with in this life, <laughs> after your time is up, bye, <laughs> bye mommy, bye daddy, bye hubby, bye wifey, uh, goodbye. It's like you spend the night at a hotel. When you go, you just say goodbye to everyone and you walk alone. You come alone, you leave alone. Moving from one stop to the next stop. Once you're there, a few more people will come and spend the, the night with you. 
while they're there, they'll say, can you scratch here a little bit, please? It's a bit uh, itchy. And then you'll start scratching and they'll say, can I scratch yours while you're at it? You're only close to me. You're very close to me. Come a bit closer so I can scratch it better. Well, if you're going to be this close, we might as well live together, right? Good idea. Let's do that. That's how this happens. You know, I honestly say, you know, analyze the, the, the last few years of your life and do something meaningful. Do yourselves a favor. I can speak to you like this because I can open my heart and I can open my mind and I speak out of pure compassion, ladies and gentlemen. If you don't trust me, look into my mind and then you will realize. If you can't do that, then it's not my problem. Read my thoughts, I challenge you, and tell me that I speak out of spite hmm? or because I don't have the things that you have and I'm jealous. You have a wife, I don't, so therefore I'm trying to talk you out of her. <laughs> Yuck. No. Most of what you have today, I gave up. Because I realized there was no essence in it. You're still chewing on the bone that I spit out. I realized there was no meat around it. It was just a bone. I tried it this way, I tried it that way. Huh? And then I realized, no. No meat on this bone, just bone. So I went, someone picked it up. <laughs> Who's that? And they started chewing on it. Good luck. Once again, I speak out of compassion. I want you to give value to yourselves because if you don't, no one else will. If you start giving yourselves value, people around you will also begin to realize the value of their lives. You will be an inspiration to them. You know, people around Mahatma Gandhi, they were also freedom fighters. Look, someone who gave himself the greatest value. Every woman, man and child who came across him, who crossed paths with him, they all went on to become infinitely valuable lives. Today, we celebrate them. To their name we make offerings. I mean, I don't even have to say the Buddha, even when I say Sariputta how much devotion and piety does that give you, that, does it give rise to you in your minds? I don't need the Buddha for that. I mean, the Buddha is incomparable. Right? That's like saying the sun. And then I say a candle, oh, that's, that's still a lot of light. So give yourself value. Don't miss the boat. It's here. It's on the harbor. But it's, one, it wants, it's not going to be here forever. If you miss Guru Handro, you're not going to meet him again. That much I can guarantee. If you need me to sign a dotted line, give you a piece of paper to sign that, I will do that. Bring it, I will sign it. You will not meet Guru Handro again. So if you miss the boat, good luck. So come. Be in his presence. Mothers, fathers, give your children a fighting chance. Give them the only thing that is worth doing. You know, if you, give your, if you keep your daughter at home, one day she's going to leave you. And then she's going to be with another man. 
most of the time this is what happens and then you're at his mercy she may or may not look after you because now she can't do it all out of her own will but there is no one at our monastery who tells these anagarika mahatmyas don't you go look after your mother don't you speak to your father no one what do we tell them actually how's your mother how's your father how's she doing have you spoken to her once a week you have to talk to them once a week you have to talk to them <laughs> what about people out there how uh, why do families break up why do families fall apart because the in-laws hmm most of the time these are the problems the boy's mother doesn't like you visiting the boy the girl's mother their parents then why do you have to spend christmas with them why do you have to spend new year with them come and be with us okay this year if you are with us next year you can go to them see taking turns doesn't happen with us a mother who gives the buddha sasana to a child in the sasana will never lose her will never lose him or her that child is the only child if you have two children one goes on to get married gets a life gets a job goes out goes somewhere settles down that child may or may not be with you talk to you because you know in your last moments ladies and gentlemen you just you don't need someone to feed you agreed hmm what you need in your last moments is not someone to feed you it's not someone to you know wash your back because after a while you're going to be dead what you need in those moments is love is compassion is to show the light of the buddha a few inspiring words because those last moments are very crucial to what's going to happen next these are the critical moments so would you rather spend your last few moments with a child who's an engineer who's a doctor who's a millionaire he's running his own business and he's on the phone to you because he can't come and visit you he's too busy he's got a, sign, a contract to sign and a business contract to 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 deal with or a child who has no other commitments they're free so he doesn't have a husband to look after he doesn't have a wife to look after to him all children are his children all mothers are his mothers all fathers are his fathers so they are free and besides they have the power of the dhamma they have the medicine that can heal a soul they have the medicine that can fix a broken mind that can heal a heart now they're going to be with you chanting some pirit maybe hmm mothers in the house what do you want in the last moment of your death do you want someone you don't even know of or would you not rather your son be with you would you not rather your daughter be with you and ensure that even if you go on to be born again you will go on to the blissful plains because in those last moments you can make a big difference it is whatever thoughts come into your mind in the last moment that determine what's going to happen next so you can't just live your life you know tickety boo and expect everything to happen for you in the last moment that's not how it's going to work but throughout your life you practice but in the last moment the environment is very important so it's only a child who has come to the sasana who will have the freedom the liberty the privilege to come and be with you or you can be in the monastery now if you become a shravaka or a shravika most of you are going to be dead where <laughs> huh where are you going to die sir it's where have you spend most of your time 
No? Where do you think our Anagarika Mahatma, those Anagarika Mahatmas are going to die? At home? At the supermarket? Hmm? At the post office? No. They're going to die on the land of the Buddha. As the, as the, as the, as the gods watch over them. Hmm? Surrounded by the Mahasanga. This is our, this is our, our future for all of us. This is where we are going to shed our last breath on this holy land in the presence of noble ones listening to maybe a Buddha Sajjahana maybe we'll be in the Buddha shrine room maybe we'll be in the morning Dhamma discussions maybe we'll be sat down with a devotee helping, helping them tackle some of their life's toughest challenges and after she has said what she has to say after he has said what he has to say the Swami Nuhas is gone even in the last moments, he lent a year. That's all he did. So, don't miss that boat. It's here. By the harbor. <laughs> Get on it. Huh? We have enough oarsmen who are more than capable of showing you how it's done. You know, if you were the first Two or three Anagarika Mahatmyas here, I can understand you can be a little bit hesitant. You can be a little bit shaky. I don't know. Who can I get counsel from? Who can I get advice from? Is it going to really work? Is this project going to last for long? What longevity does does this have? What assurance do I have? Now we have 90. How much more assurance do you need? We have 120 monks. How many more do you need before you will tell me, now I can trust Swami (laughs) Nasa? Uh, what, 300? Okay, then wait. Uh, yes. Give us another year. Try and stay alive till then. I mean, don't keep putting off goodness for you. Doing good to other people, put it off if you, if you must. right? But doing good for yourselves, if you keep putting that off, how foolish is that? If this doesn't work out, go. But at least you've tried to commit yourself to the Buddha. If not a whole lifetime, try and commit yourself a week, a month, but actually fully, fully. I want to come in as an Anagarika. I want to come in as an Anagarika Mahatma. I'll try, I'll, I'll try and do my best while I'm here. I'll observe the precepts. I'll listen to the sermons. I'll practice. I'll meditate. I'll practice mindfulness, I'll do the Buddha Sasana service, I'll be in noble association, right? I'll do all I can to the fullest. Hmm? While I'm here, I'll do the fullest, to the fullest of my ability. And if it doesn't work out, teachers will help you resolve your problems. You'll come up with your own problems, but I still have desire. Lust is still killing me from inside Swaminas. I still feel like I want a, a boy. I still feel like I want, I want a girl in my life. Okay, it's all right. Let's sit down and talk. Here's a plate of rice, by the way. You wanted a girl, right? There you go. Oh, yeah. They come to their senses. Suffering only attacks you when you are blind. That's it. Suffering is made inside each and every one of you. Darkness only exists for as long as you have the light switched off. It's made inside. Can you get darkness from outside? Hmm? How do you make this room dark? We get some from the outside. Is it? 
How do you make this room dark? You switch off the lights inside. So darkness is always made on the inside. So how do you lighten up? How do you enlighten? You switch on the light inside. That's it. Darkness is never imported. It's homemade. So you have a problem. I have lust. I get angry all the time. Sometimes I'm, I'm you know, just a very angry beast. I get angry all the time. I'm furious sometimes. All right. About what? About this guy and that guy and this person and that person. So where's the problem? You start talking. These are disappointments, aren't they? You have one, there's another coming from the outside, now there's a clash. Huh? If, you for, if you get this person to change on this occasion, what about when the next person comes? You want them, them to change as well. What about when the next person comes? You want them to change as well, is it? So 8 billion, you're going to have to keep going around and changing. And that's just people. What about the other beings? What about nature? Hmm? What about the rain? What about the sun? How are you going to change that? Ah, I realize. So I can't change the outside world, right? Got it. So what are you going to do? I'm going to change the inside. How are you going to do that? Well, you have this one that is created on the inside. If you can disperse that, if you can find the causes and stop that from happening, if you can eradicate that, exterminate that, extinguish that, problem solved. How do we do that? Let's sit down. Let's have a talk. I'll teach you every day, every morning. Come and see me at 4 o'clock. I'll teach you every morning until you get it. And then if that's not enough, I will try and convince you that the Dhamma is wrong. You try and convince me that it's true. <laughs> so powerful. So powerful. Because it doesn't work. You can't try and prove that something's right is wrong. Every time you try to prove it, what happens? You realize it's the truth. That's what I'm saying. You know, the boat is at the harbor. Come and jump on it. Experience this just one lifetime. Hmm? Every other lifetime in ahead of you, don't give it to the Buddha. Give it to a man, give it to a woman, give it to a child and call himself your child. Huh? Call him your child, give it to uh, your, uh, your boss and be their servant. Do whatever. But this lifetime, give it to the Buddha and see what a change it will make in you. If you do that properly, you will never have to be a servant again. You will never have to be a wife or a husband again because you will never die again. If you don't die, you can't be born again. To, to be born again, you have to do what first? You've got to die, right? What if you can't die? <laughs> we teach you how not to die. <laughs> Before you die, I can teach you how not to. And you won't die then. Right? I've said what I have to say. Now you do what you have to do. Because I can't clap with a single hand. We have to do it together. Let's transfer the merits and bring today's sermon to a close. Okay, so let us all take a moment then to transfer all the merits that we have all acquired by making offerings to the infinite virtues of the Noble Triple Gem, listening to the Dhamma, inviting the Swami says to deliver the Dhamma, practicing it, contemplating it, and creating a conducive environment so that others can come and practice and achieve their Nibbana. First and foremost, let us remind ourselves how extremely fortunate we are to be in presence of the Noble Triple Gem, to be in receipt of the Lord Buddha's teaching, and with immense gratitude towards the bhikkhus and bhikkhunis, upasakas and upasikas. Let us transfer these maids, for they have taken immense effort to protect and preserve the sublime teachings of the Buddha and pass it, and pass it down through the generations of the Noble Lineage, which is available today to study, understand and comprehend the Dhamma. Let us also take a moment to transfer this marriage to all members of the Mahasangha present throughout the world, 
including the chief prelates of all the chapters who have dedicated their lives to the noble path and have committed themselves to the betterment of all sentient beings. Let us also transfer these merits to our monks and nuns resident in local temples and nunneries who have always been by your side through thick and thin, come rain or shine. Let us also transfer these merits to my teacher Guru Swami Nuhanse, as well as all of the monks, Anagarikas and Anagarikas attached and resident of the monastery. May they all rejoice in these merits. Let us also transfer these merits to those who make great efforts to disseminate the teachings of the Buddha. Be that by transliterating these talks, sharing them out with others or, invi or inviting others to join them. May they all rejoice in these merits. Let us also transfer these merits to our devotees and friends of the monastery, who for the sake of merits to help them attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana, continue to sustain the Mahasangha and provide for the construction of the monastery and provide the four requisites to the Mahasangha, as well as those who extend their know-how and continue to extend their well-wishes. May they all rejoice in these merits. By the power of these merits, may they be healed of any physical and mental ailments and overcoming obstacles to their spiritual progress. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibban. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also transfer these merits to our mothers and fathers, husbands and wives, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, grandparents, uncles, aunts, cousins, nephews and nieces, our friends, our acquaintances, our employers, our employees and our teachers, as well as anyone who's gone the extra mile on our behalf, who've done whatever they could to help us, support and assist us in any way, shape or form. May they all rejoice in these merits, by the power of these merits. May they be healed of any physical and mental ailments and overcome any obstacles to their spiritual progress. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer these merits to devas and brahmas, spirits and demons, primarily the Sakadeva, as well as all the numerous gods and deities who have committed themselves to protecting and preserving the Sambuddha Sasana. Let us transfer these merits to our guardian deities who keep a watchful eye over us and keep us out of harm's way. May they all prosper in divine power and wisdom. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer these merits to our ancestors, our forefathers, those who passed away in our name. May they all rejoice in these merits. Let us also transfer these merits to those who have lost their lives in the war, be their friend or foe, as well as the members of the armed forces, as well as the police force, who sacrificed their lives to protect the peace and harmony of our nation. May they all rejoice in these merits. Let us also transfer these merits to those who would have lost their lives in natural disasters, such as the tsunamis and earthquakes, landslides, fires, blizzards, as well as the pandemics, reminding ourselves that in this infinitely long journey of samsara, they will all have been mothers to us at some point, fathers to us at some point, brothers and sisters, friends and acquaintances to us at some point. May they all rejoice in these merits and with an abundance of compassion and loving kindness towards all of them, let us transfer all the merits that we have acquired to them. May by the power of these merits, if any of them have been born in the woeful plains, they redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plain. May the power of these merits help them to abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibban. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. And finally, may by the power and blessings of all the merits we have acquired throughout the day, we be able to witness the advent of many hundreds of thousands of arahants on this blessed land. And finally, may you and I, and everyone who's helped make this program a success, become arahat anuhanse, or an arahat teranin nuhanse, in this life itself, and in the era of the Gautama Supreme Buddha itself. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. May the blessings of the Noble Triple Gem be with you all. Members of the Mahasangha will transfer the blessings to you. Raga ginnen midetnva Dvesha ginnen 
අනන්ත මහා ගුණ බලෙන් සීලු ලෝක සීලු සත්‍යෝම නිබ්බාන පරම සුඛයෙන් සුගත තරවෙත්වා සාදු සාදු සාදු